Good to be in a church where you enjoy fellowshipping with one another. Have three main purposes. Come to worship Him, fellowship with one another, and to learn more about Him. Pretty simple. Those were our goals. All right. We begin a brand new book tonight. Book of 1 Timothy, then we'll go 2 Timothy. And we may go Titus after that and possibly jump back a little bit and do First and Second Thessalonians. We'll see. But basically looking at some of the epistles of Paul, letters uh, that he wrote. We talked a little bit about that, understand that. Uh, but understand that a lot of the problems that this church in the New Testament faced are not a lot different than the problems that we face. You know, people haven't changed a whole lot. <laughs> Devil hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. And sometimes it's amazing how similar problems that Satan causes. It's like he doesn't come up with anything new. It's the same old things. Just paints a new painting on it, puts a little fresh paint on it, but it's really the same problems over and over. So we're going to be looking at some of these tonight. And let's ask the Spirit of the Lord, if He would, to help us. Lord, we just welcome You tonight, Holy Spirit, to be in our hearts, to speak to us. And as we said earlier, Lord, You know what our need is, our greatest need. And so, Lord, I ask You that the Word of God would jump out at us, speak to us, whatever that need is. Even though we're a diverse group, have different needs, you're an amazing God, and you are able to speak to our hearts. So I ask you, Lord, to help us, speak to us, speak through us, and use me tonight, Lord. I need your help. I need your help, Lord. can't do this without you. I need your divine guidance and direction. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. In Paul's first missionary trip... Um, he had certain converts that he won to the Lord. Uh, one of those was the mother of Timothy. And he went back. And when he came on his second missionary journey, uh, Timothy now, young man, uh, he's in the church uh, at Ephesus. And he's growing, walking in the Lord. Uh, has grown in the Lord. And so Paul came and he stayed for a pretty good long time in Ephesus. It was a major city. It was uh, one of those cities that were uh, trade capital, you could say. So a lot of people came in and came out of Ephesus and had a diverse group, uh, all kinds of different people that were there. And so Paul saw the potential of what it would be like to have a strong church in Ephesus. And so he had a desire to want to stay there long enough that he could raise up some leadership, see the leadership, see who had a calling on their life, and then install that leadership into the church as he continued his missionary journeys. And it was not uncommon for Paul to spend one, two, or three years in one place but with one goal, and that was to raise up leadership so he could move on and start another church, begin another work. And 
Uh, it's interesting because near the end, uh, that three-year stint, that he was in Ephesus, he felt prompted by the Lord that Timothy should be the pastor at this new church. And it was a little difficult because he was younger uh, than a lot of the guys that were there. Uh, but, you know, everybody was kind of new in the Lord. <laughs> you know, it's not like anybody would, you know, uh, been around for a long time. So everybody, would, in a sense, was a newbie to a certain degree. So Paul believed that God was speaking to him, and he laid hands on uh, Timothy and installed him as a pastor. And then he left and went on to another area. But I want you to read something he wrote, excuse me, he said, and he wrote it down, something he said to this church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. I want you to look at that verse. Kind of interesting. Acts 20, verse 28. He said this. He's, this is kind of like a final word to the church at Ephesus. He said, so guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church. Purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you, day and night, and my many tears for you. So Paul didn't want the three years that he had spent there to be in vain. He didn't want to see the church go down. He wanted the church to do well, to grow. He believed Timothy was a man of God, that God's anointing was upon him, even though he was a younger man. And it's interesting that even here, the Holy Spirit speaks through him and says, some people from within your group are going to rise up and they're going to teach false doctrine. And they're going to do it to have a drawing unto themselves. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit showed him what was coming before it came. I wondered as I read this and I'm reading First Timothy, because if you were going to look at the primary purpose of First Timothy, it's to expose the heresy of the false teachers in Ephesus. It was to deal with the problem, multiple problems that were being caused in Ephesus by false teachers teaching false doctrine. And so his word was, I guess you could say, twofold. Number one, it was to encourage Timothy, but it was also to help him to give him something to expose the heresy of, of the teachers. Let me ask you a question. If someone were to ask you, what is heresy? What would be your answer? Anybody? What is heresy? Anybody want to take a stab at it? What's that? Unrest. Okay. Penny? Okay. Teaching against the Word of God. 
Okay? Untruth. Okay? Anybody else want to add to that? I think all those have an element of truth to it. I'm sorry? All right. Yeah, I can go that. Heresy is to the church what treason is to the state. Because in order for there to be treason, it has to be someone who is of the state and is, in a sense, turned against the state and is now doing all they can to undermine the state. Well, in a sense, heresy is the same thing. Heresy is not somebody that is an unbeliever, an ungodly person out there in left field that comes in and tries to destroy the church. That's not what heresy is. Heresy is someone who is using the lines of authority in the church to undermine the church and to promote their false idea, their false teaching. So heresy almost has to come from somebody who either was part of the church or at least pretended to be a part of the church. At least the pretense of being part of the church. And it, it is especially detrimental to the church. It is actually, I would say, heresy is more harmful to the church than the guy out there that's an agnostic atheist that hates God. When he says all sorts of bad things about God, people have a tendency to not pay a lot of attention to him because what? He doesn't even know God. But heresy, a heretic is a person who teaches heresy. Heresy comes from within the church. And so now it has the ability to not only undermine and infiltrate in the church and cause people in the church to be pulled away from sound doctrine, but it also undermines the mission of the church. The mission of the church is really pretty simple. And that is to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, to preach love and forgiveness of sin and repentance from their sin and a new life in Christ. I mean, you know, the mission of the church is not hard. It's just we preach Jesus and him crucified, the blood of Jesus for the remission of sins. And then once that happens, we become regenerated. We become a brand new person. And now we live a new life, brand new life in Christ. And so good doctrine relates to the basic tenets of salvation, of what Jesus did. And I want you to just think and just consider with me. You know, you're in a New Testament church. Uh, let's, let's go back a couple thousand years, and you're in, a, you're in the Ephesus church. They don't have one of these. They don't have an Old and New Testament. You understand that? What do they have? They have the Old Testament, probably. They have the words of Jesus that someone has written down. Thank God for those who were diligent to write down as much as they could remember of what Jesus said. And then they had the other source would be the writings of the apostles, those 12 apostles that studied under Jesus, 
who learned about Jesus, who got to know his heart, um, what they wrote also was considered to be something that was worth studying and looking at. Because the idea is that God was working through Jesus, Jesus taught the apostles, and then the apostles were then to teach the church, and the church was to change the world. But it was the same gospel, the same message of salvation, repentance of sin, forgiveness of sin, uh, and, and the blood of Jesus as our only forgiveness of sin. So, in essence, they didn't have the book of First Timothy <laughs> while they were reading. They didn't have, and they just had portions of like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because what is that? That is the account of four people that wrote the story of Jesus. They wrote their account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, there were probably other people who wrote accounts, uh, stories, and what they remembered, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the ones that were written down and made into a complete uh, book, you might say, and were considered to be worthy of canon or scripture that had been inspired of God and been verified time and time again. It was solid. It's kind of interesting. The word for sound doctrine is used many times in the book of First Timothy. Guess what the word sound doctrine means? It means healthy. It means health. It means that it's, the doctrine is healthy enough that it will produce growth. Unhealthy doctrine doesn't produce growth. It just builds up the individual who's preaching it. It has selfish motives. And if our motive is health, then we preach what Jesus has said, and that produces a healthy lifestyle, a godly lifestyle. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at uh, just the first 17 verses. It's a kind of a good stopping place there for the first chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read through that, and then we're going to back up, and we're going to look at six um, ways, I think, that we can help discern false teachers. Let's go ahead and read verse 1 down to 17. This is the letter from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior in Christ Jesus who gives us hope. So, no doubt... He tells you who, where this letter come from. It came from Paul. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. So the, the writer is Paul. Recipient is Timothy. And it's interesting, almost always after, and this is kind of a way they wrote letters. After the, the, the author and then the recipient, there would all be, always be some kind of blessing. And so this next part is a blessing. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace and mercy and peace. So that was his blessing to the people who would read this letter. When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion. Back up one verse, uh, back to verse 3 if we could. When I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus. <laughs> I get the impression that he's heard <laughs> that Timothy would like to quit. <laughs> you, catch, you catch that? When I left, I said, I want you to stay there. 
How many of you have ever wanted to quit? When it, things get difficult and it's a hard road that you're going through and a difficult battle, it's easy to say, man, I'm checking out of here. I, this is it. I've had it. You know, in marriage, that's the way it is sometimes. In any battle you go through, it just, you reach a time where it's not easy. And I'm sure Timothy, being a young man, he was fighting against people probably who were older than him. And they were coming up with all sorts of crazy doctrines. And he was there to try and counter that doctrine. And so I'm sure he felt a little out of place, overmanned, uh, and, and outgunned. And Paul's writing to him to give him some more guns, <laughs> give him a little more help. I want to help you. Verse 4 again. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. We'll come back to this in a minute. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed the whole point. They've turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. You ever been around people like that? They just talk about the stupidest things that don't have anything to do with anything. And they can argue about all this stuff on and on and on. And you're just thinking, what are we talking about? They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about. Even though they speak so confidently. Now, they're a smooth talker. We know that the law is good when used correctly, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father and mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, or slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious God, good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous. And gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But God, who had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners, then others will realize that they too can believe in him. And receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king. The unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Sounds like the end of the chapter. But it's not. But I think. That was the end of his thought. And then he picks up. And starts starts in again. We'll, we'll pick that up next week. Kind of interesting. Because the first part. He's talking about the false teachers, and some of the things that they do. Did you notice a little bit of change? He started talking about his life 
where he's come from, uh, how God has given him grace and mercy. You see, he's doing that on, on purpose. He's trying to paint a picture that he is different from the false teachers. That the false teachers exalt themselves as if they're really special. And Paul is trying to say, listen, I'm nothing special. I'm just a sinner that's been saved by grace. And, you know, I love that last part there, verse 16. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with me, even the worst of sinners. You know, some people look at your life and they say, you know, if God can save you, they can save anybody. You ever had anybody say that to you? Maybe they knew you before. And so, you know, and I hear this all the time. You say, oh, man, we need, so-and-so needs to get saved. They're a hard nut to crack. But I tell you what, God is good at changing hardened hearts. I don't care who it is, where their heart is. God is able to soften our hearts. Once we can get off our religious high horse and acknowledge that we need to be saved. We can't get there by a law. So we're going to look at some of the things that he brings out, and they, they kind of give us an insight uh, of what to be careful for. Because believe me, the day that we're living in, we're filled with lots and lots of false teaching. And with the advent of the Internet... I mean, you can read anything you want about anything, and everybody is a teacher. <laughs> you know, everybody uh, can go on and on about what they think, and it's up to us to be able to discern, is this solid or is this not solid? Is this sound doctrine? Is this healthy doctrine, or is this stuff that's not good for me? So let's look at some of the ways we can discern false teachers just from this first part. The number one thing that I see here, and that is um, always examine the intent behind what someone is teaching. Think about it just for a moment. Examine the intent behind what someone is teaching. Look at verse 3 and 4. When I left from Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus, stop teaching Stop those who are teaching contrary truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculation, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. In other words, the false teachers, they were using myths. Now, can you, can you make a guess? I did a little study on this to figure out what, what were they talking about when it calls myths. Anybody want to take a stab at it? I think I know. Anybody? Myths in this context were traditions or legends that people had brought. My great-granddaddy told me this, and his great-granny told him that, and, and I heard this, you know, and they go on the endless genealogies about where this has come from. But here's the bottom line. What these, quote, myths or legends or traditions were, they were things that allowed for sin. They were things that allowed for a sexually immoral life, for a lifestyle that you could indulge in your flesh. It really is always fighting the same battles. 
you know, Satan is, has not come up with a whole lot of new stuff, like I said earlier. And that in this area, and, and Paul is saying, Timothy, look, look that they're not saying anything that has anything to do with a godly life. Whenever you are hearing something, consider the intent behind that. Is that person, is that person just trying to show you how spiritual they are? Or are they really trying to help you? Is that a teaching that's beneficial to you? Is that going to help you in your marriage? Is it going to help you get along with your kids? Is that going to help you in understanding who God is? It is does it amplify the, the magnificence of who Jesus is? In other words, ask the Holy Spirit to show you the intent behind. And here, one of the intents of the false teacher is that, and some of the translation says, they've wandered from sound teaching. They've gone astray. And they're just going on about things that don't matter. Nothing that really leads to a godly life. And so you really have to, you know, I, I remember one time I was, uh, this was early on when we were starting the church years ago, and um, I never will forget, you know, it was a small group, and uh, I can't remember who asked it. It might have been Marlene Marmont. I can't remember who it was. She was always asking questions in the middle of my sermon. Uh, but uh, I asked a question and someone said, we don't really care about that question. That doesn't change our life one way or the other. And I started to get offended. But then I thought, you know, they're really right. That doesn't have anything to do with anything as far as a godly life is concerned. Uh, it was just one of those endless, silly questions that we want to talk about. And I made a decision. I said, Lord, I pray that you would help me to answer questions people are really asking. When I'm teaching... And I'm preaching and digging into his word. I want to answer questions people are really asking. What really applies to our life? Does this affect my family? Does this affect my life in God? Does this show me how to live a, a more godly life? Does this help me understand who Jesus is and what he did for me? We have to make sure of the intent behind that person that might be a teacher or profess to be a teacher. The second thing that I see here, um, as far as understanding uh, how to discern false teachers, number two, and that would beware those who have lost their spiritual bearings. Their life is not characterized by love, but instead by controversy. Look at verse 5, 6, and 7, same area in First Timothy. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love, that comes from a pure heart, clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed the whole point. They've turned away from these things. What's of these things? Pure heart, clear conscience, and genuine faith. And they spend their time in meaningless discussion. Again, those things that they're discussing, they don't have anything to do with a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith, or faith in Christ and all that. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses. But they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. I just want to encourage you, don't be so impressed just because someone can speak well. Good speakers does not mean they are from God. Just because someone's eloquent 
or can stand up there and babble on and on and on and it sounds wonderful, it doesn't mean it's from God. You know, one of the things that I had a hard time with, especially growing up uh, in the Lord, and that was it was hard to understand how God's anointing could be upon people who didn't live a holy life. Because I would see evidences of someone living an immoral lifestyle, and yet it seemed like they were anointed when they preached. It gave the appearance. And then sometimes they would pray for people, and people would get saved. And I was saying, how can that even happen? But I was equating the gifting of God for the power of His Word. And the truth of it is, there's power in His Word. The truth of the gospel gets people saved. The truth of the gospel heals people's lives. The truth of God's Word is what has and where the power really is, not in that person's life. Now, is it more effective if someone will live a godly life and preach the Word of God and anointing? Absolutely. That's what you want. But don't be overly swayed just because they can expound on the Word. Look for that lifestyle that matches the Word of God. And here, and so, so, you know, they've, verse 6, they've turned away from these things and they've spent their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses. But they don't know what they're talking about even though they speak so confidently. So I guess one of the things I've said so many years don't, church, don't be so gullible. Don't accept something. And that applies to what I say. Don't accept what I say just because I say it. Study the Scriptures to see if and make sure that what I'm saying is the Word of God. We all have a responsibility to make sure what the Word of God is. And the same criteria that I'm talking about should be applied to me. It should be applied to every person. And so always, number one, it was check the intent behind it and, and, and beware uh, of that person who, it, it, I guess, best way I put it here is lost their spiritual bearings. You know, th- their whole life. And it's interesting because the very first part of that The purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart. You know, that should be the focus of our life, and that is we love people and they love us, and we we desire to love people. False teachers do not really love people. They just want people to follow them, and they're not really interested in loving anybody or them loving them. They just want followers. So genuine, he says here, pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. Look for those things. And when a teacher doesn't have those, and this is the difficulty that I've always had. You got somebody on TV or this evangelist and, you know, somebody say, well, I, I stopped going to church. I just watched one of the preachers on TV. I said, well, that may be, you know, you might get good teachings, but do you know that person's life? How do you know what that person lives? And how can you know their life? And I can guarantee you when, when, when you need help, 
<laughs> you call that guy on TV, he's probably not going to be ready to come, you know, fly down from where Timbuktu and, and help you. Uh, you know, make sure that that faith is a genuine faith. And the only way I can see that is by being a part of a local church. I'm strong on, and, and believe strongly in being a part of a local church, supporting a local church, because I believe that's where you can look for that pure heart, clear conscience, and a genuine faith. And you've got to live what you preach. And, you know, I've figured out, men, this is one of the reasons we we have wives. One of the purposes for our wife is to make sure you live what you say. That's one of the golden qualities of my wife. He said, if I even start to hint at being a hypocrite, she is most willing to point that truth out. Men, do any of you have golden, wonderful wives like that? Let me see your hand. That your wife loves you so much that they don't mind turning around to you and saying, that is not the truth. You didn't do that. What are you talking about? That's a lie. You know, or so whatever it is, you know, they they don't mind kind of putting you in your place. And I'll tell you why they do that, men. They want a godly man. They want a godly father. They want a godly father for their children. They want a godly husband uh, in their home. That's what they desire. And so they're not doing that to be busybodies. They're doing that because they love you and they desire that for their home. So that's a good thing. Third thing that I see here, and that is beware of those who misuse the law. And they do it just to appear spiritual. Look at this next portion. It's kind of, I hope hope we can get this right here because it's important, understanding the purpose of the law. We know that the law is good when used correctly. The law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defy what is holy, who kill their father and mother or commit other murders. Verse 10. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality or slave traders, liars, promise breakers, who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. So it kind of brings up the whole issue here is that we have to know what is the purpose of the law for us as a believer. So I'm going to ask you, what is the purpose of the law for a believer for you, what's the purpose of the law? And when I'm, I guess we better define law. Law would be like the Ten Commandments, uh, the principles of the Ten Commandments. What does that have to do with a born-again Christian? Anybody want to tackle that? Ben, you look like you would like to tackle that. <laughs> what do you think? What, what does the law have to do with us? Okay. All right. I like that. Anybody else? What is the purpose of the law for a believer? Renee? It's exactly right in the book of Galatians. That's right. It's a schoolmaster or tutor. It reveals uh, our sinfulness. And you could say the law is a reflection, a mirror of who God is. 
his holiness, his standards. And the problem is, is that we can never match up. We can never be as holy as God. But here's the good news. The law was never designed to be able to make us holy. It, it, it's not capable of making us be good people. And what he's saying here in First Timothy, he's saying it a little bit different way, but he's really saying the same thing. The law is not, it doesn't straighten a believer up. When we become born again, we give our heart and our life to Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit now comes to live and reside within us. Now, when that happens, now we have an inborn desire to want to be holy and to please God, and we want to do the right thing. To the unbeliever, he has this law, these rules, and they are kind of like his way to get to God, his way to, if I do that, then God will love me and I'll be all right. But... That's not the intent of the law. For a believer, we already have a hunger and a desire to want to do the right thing. When we get born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Our heart is to say, Lord, I want to do the right thing. And here's the amazing thing. Before you even know the law, before you know God's ways, if you have his Holy Spirit living within you and you're born again, it's amazing how... You begin to lie, and already you know something's not right. You didn't have to, someone didn't have to run up to you with a scripture that said, Thou shall not commit false witness. You know, what was going on? The Holy Spirit inside of you was already telling you, don't lie. And when you are angry or bitter or hateful, to someone, you don't need a law to tell you that's wrong. The Holy Spirit is already speaking loudly. That's not the way Christ would have you to act. So what Paul is trying to remind Timothy, he's saying, listen, false teachers, they take the law and they use it to try and command people to do certain things but they only do it so that they will be a follower of them. That's their only purpose. And they, what they're doing, they're taking the law and they're misusing the law. And he's trying to say here, hey, the law is for the ungodly. And what does it do? It's just what Ben said. It reminds them, it shows them how far they've fallen from, from God's ways. If they're a lawbreaker, if they're an immoral person, if they're uh, sexually immoral or they're a liar, a cheat, a thief, a murderer, then the law tells them this is wrong in God's sight. And the intent is to bring us to repentance, to believe in Christ Jesus so that he could be the Lord of our life. So the law is not designed to make us holy. It's just to show us that we're not holy. So then we would need His grace and His mercy. And that's the amazing truth of the gospel, is that He wants to set us free from the demands of the law 
and to know that we're going to live a holy life, not because I have to, but because I want to. I want to tell you, God loves it when you want to do the right thing, not because you have to do the right thing. Have to sounds like somebody's forcing you to do it. Uh, uh, I can't commit adultery because it's the wrong thing. Well, I sure would like to, but I can't do it because the law says I can't. That's not what God wants. He wants obedience out of a pure heart, a desire I want to be faithful to my wife. I want to love God. I want to honor God with my life. I want to speak the truth. I want to do the right things. Why? Not because it's against some law, but because it's pleasing to God. It honors the Lord. Does everybody, any questions about that? Because this is a big issue. Because believe it or not, here we are (laughs) 2,000 years after this was written, and people are still falling under the trap of trying to feel like they got to keep the law in order to be good and be accepted. Any questions about the whole issue of the law? Either you've got it all or you're afraid to ask me. I'm not sure which it is. Okay, well, we'll, we'll move on either way. Fourth thing, a false teacher... False teacher has no place for gratefulness or mercy. And this is where Paul is showing the the differentiation between him and the false teachers. Uh, Verse 12, 13, and 14, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He's considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence. I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me. I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. How many of you were a sinner before you came to Jesus? (laughs) That was a loaded question. (laughs) Every one of you. But it takes a heart that says... This is who I was. You have to be, you know, and here's the the difference between a false teacher. A false teacher doesn't want to admit they're wrong. Doesn't want to admit they have any problems. And doesn't want to believe they're a sinner. And as a result, they're hard, they're harsh. And here, Paul is showing a real dichotomy, a real difference between him and the false teacher. He's saying, hey, I'm the chief of sinners. And I I have been saved by grace. I have been saved by his amazing grace. And I I once, and he even goes so far to say, I was the chief of sinners. And if you look at his record, he really was a Pharisee's Pharisee. You know, he he was a nitpicky uh, Pharisee and then was given the job of going and persecuting and sometimes even killing Christians who would not follow the law. That was his job. And in fact, we have record that Stephen uh, was stoned to death. And Paul, it says, was consenting. Maybe he was in charge of that posse that found out about Stephen and had him stoned to death. So he was a rigorous defender of, quote, the law. 
But you know the very fact that they could stone people to death for not keeping the law, that just shows you the harshness behind legalism. I mean, look at the, look at the Muslims today. Look at the violence of the Muslims. How, and, you know, they, they say they're doing this in the name of their God. That they feel like they're going to kill people and murder innocent children and women and, and murder people. I notice they're not too brave in standing up the military. <laughs> you know, they like to kill women and children that don't have any guns. Uh, but still the violent nature. But they say they're doing it for God. And I want to show you that is the very height of that legalistic, violent spirit that thinks it's better than everybody else. And Paul is trying to say, I'm a chief of sinners, you know, saved by his grace and his mercy, trying to show a difference of attitude between him and the false teachers. And in turn, hopefully, Timothy is seeing what he's doing here, and he's going to be able to discern because, to me, the difficulty that I felt Timothy was in was not only... Did he have to discern who were the false teachers? Then he would have to confront them. And Paul was trying to give him some ammunition to be able to confront them. And their attitude of lack of love was one of the ways that he was doing that. The fifth thing that I mentioned about, it says, the life of a false teacher undermines the mission of the church and hurts the whole body of Christ. What, what, and I kind of alluded to this a minute ago. What is the mission of the church again? Why are we here? What's the mission of the church? Preach the gospel and strengthen believers. We want to grow, uh, but we want to promote the gospel. We want to preach the gospel. We want to have people to be born into the kingdom of God And then we want to be strong. But why do we want to be strengthened and built up? So that we might reproduce and have other people to do exactly the same thing. And that is promote the gospel. And so that they might strengthen believers. So that again, the whole gospel continues to move on and on and on. As we promote the gospel, preach the forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness by the precious blood of Jesus. And then we want to see others born again. You know, if you are truly born again, it should be a desire of yours to want to see other people born again. Other people coming into the kingdom of God. And, you know, if you get the opportunity, disciple, mentor. And I know we're talking about the ladies uh, mentoring men, same thing. You know, if we have that opportunity and you have a young believer mentor, help them, disciple them, because the goal is so that they would begin to promote the gospel and that they would win people to Jesus. And then hopefully one day they would be promoting and mentoring someone else. They would be helping someone else. And the last thing, let's uh, say, I want to start with, read uh, verse 15, 16, and 17. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God has had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. 
Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. How many of you have had people say to you that they were surprised that you got saved or that you're a new person? Anybody? Anybody? You've had people tell you that? Hey, Shane. Tell me about that. You know, it's interesting you mention that because one of the things the enemy will do is that he'll say, if you witness for Christ and you tell people that you're a Christian, then they're going to reject you, ridicule you, make fun of you, and they're not going to accept you anymore. And we, we reel back from that lack of acceptance. We're afraid of that lack of acceptance. But it's just like what Shane said, and that is you come to the realization that God replaces all those who have rejected you. Everybody who says you're crazy or stupid, you're religious nut, all those people who reject you, God puts better people in your life. He puts people in your life who really love you and care about you and people who will really stand by you in a real crisis time. You know, sometimes those drinking buddies, they're good when things are going well, but when things are not going well, they're not there with you. But a godly brother or sister, they'll be with you in the darkest of times. They'll be with you at all times, good times, bad times. They will be with you. Because it is different. You, you replace all of those ungodly people. So don't let the enemy make your mouth quiet just for fear. Oh, what if they reject you? So what? They might reject you, but you sow a seed. Never underestimate the power of that seed you're going to sow in their life. While they're rejecting you, and you're making a witness, and they're rolling their eyes, like, oh, man, another way, roly, holy, religious nuts, you know, and they're rolling their eyes like they're so spiritual. I just want to tell you, when the chips are down and they're going through a crisis in their life, guess who they want to talk to? Guess who they want to pray for them? They want someone with the courage and the tenacity and the strength of their convictions. They want somebody like you to really pray for them and be on their side. So don't be swayed by their rejection, their ridicule, their making fun of you, whatever it is. Make your stand. And if they ridicule you, stand. Because you don't know, later on down the line, you may have the opportunity to be a real real witness, a real testimony in their life. 
But if you're wishy-washy and you come back and, and you're so afraid of their rejecting you, if you back up from your testimony, then they're not going to really believe what you say had any validity. They're going to say, well, I guess they don't really mean it. I guess it's not really real. If what you say and what we say is true, that Christ really did die for sinners, and we can have a brand new life. And to me, I I don't know, the people I meet in the world that are not born again, they're not walking with God, they long for a new life. They don't know how to get it. They don't know how to have it. But they desire that new life. They do. They just don't know how to get it. And hopefully we can, you know, there's, there's a good chance there's the people you meet out in the world, they're not going to come in church. They might, they might not, but there's a good chance they won't. You're going to have to reach people out there in the world for Jesus. You're going to have to be out there in the world, walking with them, talking with them, ministering to them, helping them, loving them right where they're at. That's where they're going to find out that you really love them and who you are in Christ. And then once they're hungry, then maybe they'll come. Maybe they'll come and be saved. Last thing, number six, and that is false teachers is dogmatic. Can't accept the fact that they might be wrong. And they'll often try to claim authority for what they say, but they have no real authority. And that's just something that I've noticed about false teachers, and that is they, they can't handle any challenge to their authority. But they really don't have any authority because, again, they're not basing what they believe on the solid Word of God. And, you know, if you, for those who say, okay, what's the difference between sound doctrine and, and good doctrine and false doctrine, first thing in that would, uh, sound doctrine it's, it's, excuse me, proper doctrine is sound doctrine, meaning it's, it's healthy. Proper doctrine is, uh, con, it conforms to God's message of salvation. It, it centers around the divinity of Jesus, who Jesus is, and the message of salvation. And it always produces a Christ, genuine Christian life. And proper doctrine has apostolic authority, meaning it's come from, you know, the Lord gave it worked it through Jesus. Jesus gave it to the apostles and the apostles wrote it down. And today we are reading what is apostolic authority. It has been handed down from God himself. And that's why we call it the word of God. Amen. Lord, I pray that you would give us godly wisdom tonight. Lots of teachers out there in this world, a lot on the internet, a lot everywhere. And Lord, I just pray that we would be godly people who are also discerning to, to check and to make sure who we're listening to is really sound, who really has healthy doctrine. Lord, and as we study through this book of First Timothy, we'll talk a lot about this issue. And Lord, I pray that you would gird us up for a difficult time. And be able to discern, even if we didn't have the Bible, even if we are stripped away of all of our Bibles, Lord, I pray that we would know the Bible good enough that we would know what is sound and holy and right and healthy for us to live. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.